Welcome to the Backend Engineering Show with your host, Hussein Nasser. This is the show where we discuss the art and the craft of building software and cover recent news on backend technologies. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and rate it on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. With that said, let's get on on the show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Good morning, everybody. How is everybody doing this fine morning? I believe the music, this music is called Berlin at Night. Uh, all this music is, is basically free, royalty free. Yeah. How about we jump into it, guys, and get started? All good? Let's have fun. Have some discussions. Yeah, I'm planning to do these uh, every Saturday. That's the plan, hopefully. And I've been consistent so far. Knock on wood. You guys have this uh, superstition, knock on wood, as well, or is it just us knocking on wood? I, I believe it's it's almost universal. Yeah, so I've been consistent for five weeks now, every Saturday. I wouldn't say I've been consistent on timing, but it's, it's been on Saturdays, so that's great. And uh, I love the discussion with you guys. It's just you guys ask fantastic questions and keeps you guys keep pushing me, you know, just like to the limits. Like, okay, we can do better. We can do better. So the challenges, questions that you ask, the, the just the topics you want me to discuss kind of unlocks me. Hey, Otto. Glad you're doing great. Ahmed, what's up? Full stack engineer. Touchwood. <laughs> hey, everybody. What is everybody working at these days? Backend-wise, software-wise. What is the ch- most challenging bug? What is the most annoying bug? Let's start with this topic. What is the most annoying bug that you had ever? I'll start with that now. I'll start with this topic. I had last weekend, uh, not last last week, the most annoying bug. And as I said before, most annoying bugs that takes hours and hours and hours and you know, not even maybe like if, if not day or two to find are those related to caching man i hate cache invalidation cache invalidation is the worst it was just a stinking cache and we were serving a stale cache 
it's 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 easy to see something deterministic you look at the database it's deterministic it's persisted you send a query it gives you an answer but what if that there is a ton of caching layers on top of that right that's kind of become challenging so yeah took a while but we fixed it give a small presentation on microservices messaging uh, your videos helped and documents on RabbitMQ2. Thanks, Gandhi. I believe Gandhi is joining our chat. Man, rip. So, yeah, uh, microservices. Uh, our company is moving completely to microservices. It's more like macro services, not microservices, because microservices is just an overkill, right? So I'd like to call them macro services. So I, I might I might move um, I start talking more about microservices. I don't interact with microservices system on day to day basis. I know about them. I know I know companies that do them, and I know their limitation. And I don't I know their advantage. Most of the time, they suck. <laughs> from what I hear, because <laughs> it's just so much work for so little advantage. Again, unless you're Google or Facebook, that's a different story. I'm taking computer network course this semester in the university, and your videos, man, so helpful. Thanks, Ozma. Glad they're helpful. <laughs> Mustafa says, stupid error. I was editing the wrong file. Yeah, it happens all the time. I, I think I'm editing the wrong file. I save, and I go and refresh, and nothing happens. Oh, is a cache? No, in this case, this is even worse than a cache. Oh, you so you try Control F five, so you go and create your local storage, so you go and restart your services, thinking there is some sort of a stale cache, but no, you were just editing the wrong file. It happened. It's okay. Don't beat yourself up. Happened to everyone. Sikar says, "How does time synchronization works with NTP?" How does it deal with network latency to give us accurate time? Man, time is time is a difficult problem. NTP, what does that stand for? I, I know this term. NTP wiki. Network time protocol. All right. I guess I never heard of it. Network time protocol. So there, apparently there's... Yeah, because think about it. To get the time, that's the problem spanner the database, the Google database faced. They had to build... How do you get accurate time uh, in order to serialize your transaction so you can timestamp your transaction with an accurate timestamp? You might say, Hussein, just take the local timestamp. No, that doesn't, doesn't work because if you take the local machine, machines are not synchronized with time. It's impossible. You might say, yeah, let's just let them synchronize with uh, some global thing. But the, uh, the fact of reaching a server to obtain the right timestamp has latency and you have to account for that latency so it's not it's not as easy as it thinks so so spanner what google did is something i don't believe anyone has something called atomic clocks and i know very little about that it's it's uh, there are clocks that are installed on a hardware i believe on each machine and they give you accurate time to the millisecond or if I'm not mistaken, even microsecond. So that if two transactions start in two different machines at the same time, let's say write, to write something, 
and let's say this started at uh, 10 a.m. 52 seconds and this started at 10 a.m. 52 seconds and 30 millisecond they know that this is before this this started before this there's a delay and they know that and when you know the order that's the best thing in databases because that's the most important thing how do you know which database which transaction came in first so you can start serializing and doing all your mvcc and all that jazz across clusters so spanner solved it this way what's the other name fauna db not fauna db was it FaunaDB? Maybe FaunaDB. They solved it in a, in a different manner, not using timestamp, something else. But yeah, time is hard. Can you please tell me how we can make file operations atomic? Well, one way is to, to acquire a lock on your file so that nobody else can edit anything and then you can release the lock. So this way you prevent people from editing, but but that does not prevent corruption. So if, if, you're, if you're editing the file, power cut, then you just corrupted the file, right? You just written some, some stuff and not the other. So that's why databases do uh, write a headlock, which is called wall, W-A-L which is a different structure. They write, 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 write. And when you actually say commit, they take that and persist it to disk. So maybe if you're building something yourself, then you have you might want to consider that. So don't touch the actual original file. Touch something else. Hi, finally made it to this live stream. Welcome, Udini. And thank you for being a long-time subscriber. I remember you. You were, you were here since the thousand days when I had a thousand subscribers, or maybe 900. Thank you for your continuous support. What do you think about DNS over Quick? Huh. So DNS is by default unencrypted on top of UDP, right? And we want to encrypt it. So we built two technologies. One is called DOH and one is called DOT. DOH, DNS over HTTPS, which is built on top of TCP. And DOT is DNS over TLS, which is just raw TCP and TLS. That's what I understood. So now DNS is, they're bringing DNS on top of Quake. That's the first time I hear about it, but I don't see it as a bad idea. I mean, that's good. If you, if you, think about it, if your machine sending a lot of DNS requests, you can multiplex them in a single TCP connection and a single uh, quick connection, and that's good, right? Uh, that till, this tells me like DNS resolvers, you know, because there's a DNS resolver, DNS DNS authoritative server which actually has the answer, and the DNS resolver is a caching, almost like a caching layer, right? So. Things that goes from DNS resolver to actual resolver, this is going to be a flood of DNS queries. Does this, so this can benefit from Quick. So I see that very, very nicely there. So this can definitely benefit, right, between the resolver and the actual DNS authoritative server. From me as a client machine to the resolver, I don't see a value. DOH can do that, does the trick. Because we're not sending a flood of requests. We don't need to multiplex, right? The, the goal of Quick is, the main goal is 
can we multiplex the uh, query request? That's the main goal. As long as I know. Auto says, my guess is response time, latency, and NTP, the network term protocol client, usually have multiple NTP server configured. So average that. Okay. So if you have multiple time servers, again, that's good that we're discussing the same topic here, which is, which is, uh, which is communication protocol. I like that. I like this community. You guys are awesome. Let me fix this a little bit. Do you guys see, did you see guys this news? I've been on Twitter lately and someone ran benchmarks on Postgres using Apple's latest chip, system on chip, M1 chip. And it was nuts performance oh my god it just blew everything else out of the water until everything i was like what the heck i mean i'm not in touch of any hardware news or this kind of tech news like apple and i don't know what how much if, if you ask me how much my iphone can have ram I, I i cannot answer that i don't even know right and i don't think apple advertises this because apple say anything about you want about apple but those guys are efficient because because you see i remember when i had like galaxy s2 that was the last uh, galaxy i had before i switched to iphone and it was like i had like a two gigs of ram i was like thinking what the heck why is a phone needs two gig of ram did we get so sloppy as developers to need two gigs of RAM to build mobile app? Mobile, mobile, guys, this should be very lightweight apps. I mean, unless you're competitive gaming, that's a different story. But, sheesh, I just want to build, I just want to use the phone. I want to call, I want to check Twitter. How much, how much RAM do I need for that? So they, iPhone always challenged that. It was like, oh, the more RAM, the better. Yeah. They said, no, we're sticking at 500 megs. Then they switched, I think, to one gig. And then now I believe they are maybe two gigs or whatever. But yeah, more stuff just tells me that you, you as a developer, is sloppy most of the time. It's like, why are you taking this much RAM and memory? Because you say, oh, just throw more RAM at it. Again, there are there are certain situation that you need more RAM. Obviously, like I don't know, you're running machine learning training and supervising that that requires a lot of RAM. You're running a Hadoop job, MapReduce that requires a lot of RAM. You're running a database for God's sake, that requires a lot of RAM. But the old people in the 1970s and 1980s they had like what 64k, and they built. They built a lot of stuff with just that. So if you are constrained as a developer, you can build so much good. You become more, you know, focused. Because, because now you you're you're building an app with a constraint. If you don't have this constraint, oh, I have unlimited RAM. Let me just build a data structure that pulls everything from the database and sort it on the client side. No. You become more aware. But now, I think we're falling into this trap, guys. 
Lopez, greeting from Guatemala. Thank you. Thank you so much. And welcome to the stream. Hussein, is DNS sick same as DOH? I don't know what DNS sick, guys. I, I, man, I don't know anything about networking. DNS sick. I heard this a lot about this DNS security. I think this is an old thing. Domain name system security extension. Sheesh. Domain name system. Let's read you from Wikipedia. What does DNS sick mean? So I know what DOH is. But DNSSEC is a suite of Internet Engineering Task Force specification for security certain kinds of information provided for securing certain kind of information provided by the name system, uh, such as uh, as used in the Internet protocol. It is a set of extensions. So it's an extension to DNS. Hmm. So it's an extension to DNS to secure DNS. Now, I don't have an answer why the people switch from that. To the new one, Automite. He's a there you go. He already gave gave you an answer. Let's see. Uh, DNSSEC does signing of DNS records, so it can be validated regardless of the transport. It does not even do encryption. Oh, DOS just okay. Really? You'd think DNSSEC will do actually security, which is which is encryption. Apparently, it does not. Yeah, from what I'm reading as well, there's no mention of encryption. It's just it's just letting you know that the, the 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 party you're communicated with is actually the party you're communicated with. So it's like it's like certificate, right? Greeting from Italy. See ya. Welcome back. How's the COVID there in California? They uh, they're 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 enforcing a curfew right now. Ugh. They are making us uh, stay at home starting from 10 p.m. until 5 a.m. I don't know who is going to leave house at 10 p.m. But there's a curfew right now in that in that particular time. But yeah, we just we're we're moving our business normally. We're just wearing masks and doing these things, and yeah, it's not ideal. How about Italy? You guys okay? What protocol does Kafka use? I remember, I think it's just pure raw TCP. Yes. I remember you saying that it has head of line blocking issue in a video. Hmm. Kafka. Yes. Kafka had head of line blocking. I still have to remember. Not when it, when it comes to actual protocol. It is a higher level head of line blocking. Let me explain. So... If, if you're a consumer and you're connected to a partition and let's say you just received a message that takes a lot of time to process for some reason. This special message is, is expensive to process. That means the rest of the messages in the same partition will starve because your consumer basically is each consumer is, is focused on one partition, right? That's that's how Kafka works, at least on a, within a consumer group. So now, if he, this consumer is busy processing this message, there is a, a head of line blocked of messages waiting to be processed, starving to be processed. And those are cheap, very cheap messages, but they're blocked because there is one consumer that is being processing them. 
does can you solve this of course you can solve this by re-architecting your data model where you put slow messages in, in, a, in a special pipe and you put uh, faster messages in another pipe. that's one way to do it but yeah head of line blocking is is in kafka head of line blocking is a very high level term right you can take head of line blocking you have it in HTTP, you can have it in TCP at the packet level, and you, in case of Kafka, you can have it at the application level, which is which is not the fault of the protocol, it's just how you process it. Rex says, thank you for the traffic video, love that one. If you just want to host a web server, would you use um, such layer 4, layer 7 proxy? Uh, or the HTTP 7 proxy, what are the disadvantages or disadvantages? If you just want a web server and you don't want to load balance them on anything, pick just a web server. Apache is a good example. Caddy is a good example. I wish I wish just Caddy team focuses on being just a web server. They are adding features for layer 4 proxying and, and load balancing, and I think that's a slippery slope. You know... Because that, that's just a very complex thing to build. You don't just import libraries and say, oh, I, I support this feature, I support this feature. Focus on being the number. You guys, Caddy, they pioneered the idea of security first web server. When you spin up a Caddy, you just automatically get HTTPS for for free they do the let's encrypt for you. That's innovation to me. So continue on that web servery path be just a web server like the other day they they added another nice features about that i forgot like on-demand tls like what if you want to update the tls automatically without me noticing uh they support multiple certificate like acme certificate like if you want your own custom certificate authority or your own custom you don't want to go to the uh, to the internet to get a certificate from let's encrypt you you have your own cluster and you want you want to build your own system and you want to issue certificates caddy now works with that so this is to me this is innovation you're like well, the, being a web server is just a lot of job so f- if you focus on that caddy will be the number one server on the whole world but if they keep doing this proxy silly stuff diving into things that they shouldn't dive in uh, uh they'll end up like nginx in my opinion i don't think they have the money nginx have f5 behind them so they have the money to be both web server and and and, and a proxy at the same time again this is my opinion but yeah uh take take something that is only a, a web server but eventually if you think about it you'll you'll need some sort of a proxy my because if you, if you scale hard enough, right, big enough, but if you, let's let's face it, you most most applications won't scale that to millions of users. If you have like a couple hundred, even thousand users, a single VM can serve you well. Don't buy into the the marketing scheme of just yeah, let's put Kubernetes and microservices and put all this stuff. It's the simpler, the better. Nadim, hi Sen. Hope you're doing great. Do you think that the internet has become very bloated with web pages becoming larger in size? Would you love to hear? Oh my God, I so agree with you. And that's because uh, 
So I think I think this is just m- many reasons, right? First of all, one one reason that the web pages, the JavaScript, the CSS became larger is 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 you want to be fancier, essentially, right? You want to do more with the web. So people, creative people, came in and said, "Oh, I can do animation. Oh, I can do this kind of things. I can do this kind of grids." And to do this kind of new innovations, you need to write a lot of CSS code. You need to write a lot of JavaScript code, which which results on on bloat. And that's not generally wrong. The innovation here comes in from the CSS team, whoever runs CSS, Cascade style sheets. And they, they built, for example, the, the table grid. What is it called? The grid CSS size, whatever. That's an example of taking things that you need to write a lot of CSS for and building an API or an interface that allows you to do the same thing with less code or less markup, let's say, not code really, unless you're one of those that says HTML is code. It is code, right? What is a markup? It's a very, very political question. (laughs) But yeah, I agree with you. I think um, we're doing so much and uh, that might be a bad idea if, uh, it really depends what you're trying to build. But I, if I want to build my own website, I know I'm not going to need all of that stuff. Another another disadvantage of this is, and I think this is to blame on the front-end engineer. Sorry, guys. But I guess I think you guys, sometimes you guys just import libraries that you don't, you need one function from. And that library is like, I don't know, three megs, and you need a single function that does, I don't know, Sends, sends an HTTP request, for example. Like, why? Use the fetch API and built in. You don't you import zero libraries to do that. So the idea of importing, importing stuff and React, I have no idea what, what React does. Maybe I never wrote React code. But all of this stuff just bloats because a lot of people are funding G, oh, let's, oh, let's just import, npm import, npm import, 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 import. And you end up with a lot of packages right where in the, in the days previous days we were used to write whatever you do, we don't have and maybe we'll have one javascript file which is main.jss which has all our functions that we need now i open any website and it has like thousands of js files and i'm i'm just baffled really does a web, a web page really need a thousand js files maybe it does maybe it does maybe you guys have a an opinion about this but i think we could be more efficient if you ask me we could be more efficient just it's it's a period yeah of course everyone can be more efficient it's just it's just so small things that we keep adding 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 and they bloat the, the whole thing and we don't notice right because hey my code works awesome but we don't have we don't know the entire stack to so okay what the heck did we just do we added 700 javascript file and 300 css file and uh, service workers and all that jazz just to do all that stuff and then we have because we have so much stuff we need to cache this stuff and we have to minify all this stuff just to minimize it sometimes we do stuff right unnecessarily because of something we started so instead uh, instead of uh, there's there's a famous saying so instead of of uh, like actually closing the hole that 
pours the water. So let's say, I don't know, something is leaking, right? Instead of actually patching the hole that leaks the water, you're just cleaning up the water. That's exactly what the what 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 people are doing, I think. We're just cleaning up. Oh, let's minify CSS, CSS. Let's minify JavaScript file. Did you ask yourself why do you need this much JSS, JSS, JavaScript files to begin with? That's that's what I want to kind of reverse engineer thinking. Some some people don't think, oh, this is a huge JS file. Why is it a huge? I don't know. Let's just minify it, make it small. So you invent solutions to non-problems, essentially. Well, to a problem that you originally caused that you might have avoided in the first place. Does, that, does, does anything I say make sense? <laughs> I don't know, guys. You might disagree with me. Um, O'Day says how thousands of concurrent requests are handled by a single server and still be fast as in multi-threading and how single-threaded Node.js application with the event loop. So if you if you have thousand concurrent requests, that's not that's not cheap, guys. That's a lot of requests. And obviously this question is, is very um is very broad and it's not clear. So if someone asks me this question in an interview, I'm gonna say, what do you mean by thousand concurrent requests? Are these thousand concurrent requests coming from the same machine or are they coming from a different machines or are they are they coming from different machines but are they multiplexed? So there, there are so many things going on between this. That's why if you're doing an interview, you get, if you understand what really the topic is, you can turn the interview to the interviewer. It's just like, oh, so the interviewer just, shit. I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, so that thousand requests, now once you understand how these requests are coming from, then you understand how to handle them on the, on the backend. So now, so let's say if, if each thousand requests is an actual TCP connection, so that tells me maybe you're using HTTP 1.1, right? Then, What's the model of the web server? Is it, is it, does the server support only HTTP 1.1 or HTTP 2? Because that changes the story, right? And if you're supporting HTTP 1.1 and you have all these TCP connections, you have 1,000 TCP connections, does this web server is a, is a single process pair TCP socket, TCP connection, or is it a single thread pair TCP connection? That changes the story too, right? And as long as you can handle, like Tomcat, for example, spin up a thread for each TCP socket. Apache, I believe, is the reverse. It's just a process per TCP socket. I might, I might be wrong on this one. Envoy uses multiple threading. So it depends how you want to solve the problem. And once you have multiple threads to work with, or multiple processes, there are a little bit advantages, disadvantages for both. But you can handle thousand requests. If you can, and that now your question is becomes, do I have the enough CPU resources to handle thousand requests at a given split second? Because at the end, what would this request do, right? If it's if it's a request coming from TCP on top of HTTP two, that it consumes more CPU resources than HTTP one one. So you get to maybe add more CPU threads, like hardware threads, to solve this problem. 
right? That's why people don't just turn HTV2 out of the blue because that sometimes it slows things down. Yeah, because now you all of a sudden you can make more requests. And if you can make more requests, then uh, you have to somehow, can you handle this many requests or not? Does that make sense? Gurava Guvara Guvara says, "Hey Hussein, nice work. What do you think of the next backend engineering in 2021? What are we coming with? There are a lot of innovation in backend engineering right now, especially in the communication protocol arena. Uh, I don't know, guys, if you watch my web transport video, the end of SoapSocket, I just used a clickbaity." Uh, thumbnail i apologize but apparently that's uh, the only way youtube works but i delivered i delivered on the on the on the title and the thumbnail so i don't call it the clickbait but the idea is there is a new protocol called web transport that tries to replace websocket and because websocket have serious flaws maybe not to you and i but some people do right so if we try to invent this new protocol, there's always those those guys in the W3C and IETF. I, I they invent something in order to solve existing problems. And I think Web Transport was, is going to become a really great solution. I just, they're just doing so much in parallel. And I don't think there are communication between those guys, in my opinion. Like there's this thing called Mask, which is multiplex quick streams. And there is also Web Transport at the same time. And I think they do exactly the same thing, if you ask me. Web Transport on top of Quick does exactly the same as Mask. But does someone actually share this inventions and look clear? Maybe, maybe, maybe there is a little bit different. But we ran into this problem before, right? Where, where two groups actually designing two things that contradict each other. I read about this yesterday, I think. There was a story in the in the early 90s, I think. Uh, the network engineers, Otto and others, will definitely know this. Uh, there is an algorithm called Nigel's algorithm in TCP. Nigel. Let me just find it. Nigel's algorithm. Nigel's beauty? No, not Nigel's beauty. Nigel's algorithm. So Nigel's algorithm, I just pasted it right here. So the summary of this, and there's something called the delayed ACK. So these are two RFCs, two perpen perpendicular, two parallel work. These two RFCs happen at the same exact time, and nobody knew about each other work. And when you actually enabled both protocols your your application just dies <laughs> it's just like the, the latency hits the seconds or two seconds 500 milliseconds at each packet takes 500 milliseconds to, to deliver you know how awful this is so let's, let's summarize this what happened here and i think this is about to happen right now with 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 a lot of innovation going on in the back end right when i say back end, i i also mean network engineering in this case right the whole thing is blurred. Who knows what what backend is anymore? So let's 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 talk about uh, Nigel's algorithm a little bit. 
the way I understand. Again, if, if I said anything dumb, network engineer, correct me. So, Nigel is, I think, is a professor, computer science professor, and says, okay, you guys are using this Telnet thing. Telnet is a protocol that you can connect to a TCP connection, you can open a TCP connection, then you send bytes. And as you send the bytes, these bytes are put into TCP segments or packets and then sent. But if you think about it, the cost of sending a single TCP packet, what does what does that mean? The TCP packet has headers, right? Source port, destination port, checksum, I don't know what other stuff. And that also has the IP header. I don't know the source IP, the destination IP, that's all cost, right? And then that is 41 bytes. I remember this number. Or 40 bytes, maybe. And then you add a single byte to send a stinking packet. So, guys, think about the efficiency here. You're sending a single byte, but you're adding a cost of 41 bytes. So, routers in the middle, each router in the middle, has to crack open these packets to understand where to forward it to, right? That's how routers work in the internet. So, if if I'm pulling up a TCP packet, there's one byte in it. I have to crack open the headers, TCP, crack open the IP headers. First, also crack open the MAC frames, right, to assemble the actual thing. There's a lot of work there. And only to find out there is a stinking byte there. And then reassemble it back to send it over. That is latency. And if you have a lot of those stinking bytes... One byte, one byte, one byte, one byte. Most of the cost is just cracking open and discovering which, uh, where to send it. So it's more efficient to send, to wait for buffer this input, like as you type, and I showed in the in the, my Wireshark video. Check out my SSH Wireshark. Just type SS, Wiresharking SSH Hussein. And I, I didn't know what was going on until some, some of you guys told me, actually. I was, like, typing, and, and Wireshark was sending stuff. I was like, what the hell? It's like, why are you sending? I didn't hit enter. Then he said, no, actually, they are, they are, they are predicting what you're going to type and all that stuff. So, so Nigel said, wait a second. Let's buffer. Let's wait. So as you type in more stuff, as, as the applications start writing stuff, there's an algorithm. You can look it up. If the algorithm, uh, uh, if the algorithm uh, says, "Hey, the byte is actually not is less than the maximum segment," let's wait. Let's wait for more bytes to come. You write, write, write. When I say write, I write to the socket right here, and then the actual Linux operating system or Windows does not send it. It will not send it. It will just wait. And then once you wait enough, it was okay. Before I send it, do I have other unacknowledged stuff? It has like this weird heuristics, right? So it's like, oh, let me wait, let me wait. And then, oh, let's not send it. And then this waiting is efficient because now you're sending a packet only where it has data. But the flip side of this is there is another algorithm. It's called delayed ACK. In parallel. So delayed act, when you send something, when you send a TCP packet to the server, the server sends back, hey, just a single byte saying, single bit actually, saying, ack, hey, acknowledge your byte. And this is a sequence number of the acknowledgement, right? That's expensive too, because I just did the same thing with acts. 
right? So those guys that delayed ACK projects, so we talked about Nigel algorithm. So wait in the client. The other side is exactly the reverse. Wait at the server. <laughs> so the, the server will say, okay, we just received a packet. I'm not going to send an acknowledgement yet. Let's wait for more response for the server. So it will wait for the actual server to compile a response for the packet. And then once it got the response, then it sends that response alongside with the acknowledgement. And there is a 40 millisecond, I think, break. Wait for 40 millisecond. So that's called delayed act, which is also efficient. If you combine those two suckers together, then Nigel algorithm will keep waiting for acknowledgement and the, the delayed will keep waiting for results. And both of them are waiting. So you'll end up with, I think, 500 millisecond timeout. And then after which they, they give up and then they send that information. So that's an example of where two parties working on, on different projects that actually collide with each, with each other. And I, I have a feeling, I have just a feeling that is about to happen again. Otto says, um, IETF always has has always had multiple products being developed. Nobody knows what will be actually get used. Oh, that's actually interesting. So the IETF apparently just, just develop projects and different products and different protocols. And some some of them die, some of them succeed, I guess. Huh? IETF has a board to make sure conflicts don't happen. Maybe the board didn't exist yet. Uh, okay, so they do have a board. Hey, Otto, you seem to know a lot about the IETF. Um, I don't know much about them. That's good. If there's a board to, to, for this and doesn't happen again, I'm all for it. One app, Sundaram says, one app inserting data in DB. If one second application, I want to display the same data using WebSocket, which have inserted by the first app, but I don't want to change code in the first app. Can we do polling DB for this one? I mean, if one app is inserting and the other app, I believe, is reading, right? You want to push information. If I if I if I hear you correctly, what you're you are trying to do is exactly what Kafka does. So implement Kafka, in my opinion, because. You want the database to trigger something to send to send the, to tell another app that hey I just inserted something I think that's what you're trying to do right maybe I'm wrong but Kafka gives you exactly that so uh, so what are you gonna do your publisher is the app that writes to Kafka and then Kafka is will have a topic and then you there is a consumer that's your WebSocket application listening on on the event. When I say listening, there is long polling going on. And Kafka will, I can't say push. Kafka will let the consumer know that, hey, there's a new piece of data. It will immediately fire up an event and then you can do your own thing. So that's why it's a pop sub system. It's also, they, they all like to call it eventing model because it's as well like an event, right? Can you do this without Kafka? Absolutely, you can. You can add a database trigger that, when something is written, you fire a trigger and then you call some sort of a webhook maybe to to do your things. But you have to worry about security. You have to worry about so much thing. You have to worry about lock-in because database triggers, man. If you, if you do a database trigger in Postgres, that won't work in the SQL Server, for example, just out of the box. 
Thank you, Hussein, for the excellent content. I learned a lot. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys, for all these beautiful, nice words. I appreciate you. Assassinator says use Bopsup. There you go. You don't have to use Kafka. He's right. You can use Bopsup. Sunil, Sanil, sorry. Hi, Hussein. Thanks for the great content. What are some great resources you would tell a software engineer and what are the some resources you personally use as well for learning? Um, a lot of people ask me this question. It's like, oh, what, what books do you read? Unfortunately, guys, there are... I know don't, people don't like to hear this, but there are no books that you can read to learn about software, in my opinion. Let me explain. Uh, you can read the classic stuff. I'm the pragmatic engineer, great code, design patterns. You can read this stuff. It gives you fundamentals. But there is no book. Books run out of date really quick, especially when you read a book about Kafka, for example. That's it. Just that you pick up concrete book when i say concrete is just a physical book about one tech when you actually want to dive deep into that deck but my knowledge i don't read books for to learn about stuff i read books and all these books are if you if you saw them are about marketing about how to promote about branding about 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 how to build a proper brand let me pull up a book that i my one of my favorite books this pie, this puppy. Can you guys see it? Can you guys see it? It's called The Purple Cow. It's a very, very famous book. It's by Seth Godin. So Seth Godin is a, is a marketeer, right? I might say, I was saying, what are you doing uh, with, with a marketeer, reading a marketeer book? So this book will change your mindset, right? It will, it will, it will let you think uh, in a way such that, can I actually read it, see it? So yeah, let's, let me pull it up. So this book will will actually make you think about how do you build a product that is worth talking about. So this kind of books will just change your mindset out of software engineering for a bit and then come back to software engineering. And as a result, you'll build awesome, awesome apps as a result. Yeah, just put it right there. Made to Stick is another good one. Made to Stick. Made to Stick is a great book. I, I haven't read it in, well, in a while, but it just changes your mindset. These books are not software books, right? But changes your mindset. I read books like I, I want to pick up Linux, for example, because I don't know much about Linux. So that is a book I want to pick up to learn about a certain technology. But there is no book that tells you, oh, how do you become a ba- better engineer? There is no book that exists like that. What, I'm, what I do instead, I... I follow people on Twitter and I read Wikipedia and I read RFCs. That's how I learn. I know about this stuff and Twitter is just main, main source of stuff. And as, as toxic as it is, but I try to kind of hold my, my gut when I read Twitter because it's just, man, it's toxic. But I try to, because like if, if people just stuck to, to tweeting about the things I'm following them, that would be awesome. If they tweet about their cats or they tweet about their politics, I don't really care, man. I just want to follow you because you're the guy for same-side cookies. I'm following you because you're the guy that builds the infrastructure of Envoy, right? You're the guy who built Linkerd. 
right? Just stick to these things, right? And then where I, most of these guys, I learned so much from them because they would tweet, tweet an event or they would tweet a video about certain thing or, or like Cloudflare is amazing technology. I mean, amazing company, Cloudflare. Why? Because they keep pumping content and they all, most of my topics are because of blogs and videos they made. And I just take them and I just read them and learn about them and that's how you learn. I I know it's a little bit disappointing answer, but yeah. Can you please create a video on event loop lib uv library? I, I saw your question. I don't know what lib uv is, but maybe when I when I get a chance. Hey saying, can you talk about statically and dynamically type language and the global interpreter lock? Oh yeah, I read about that a little bit while ago. A static versus dynamic type language. It's like a dynamic type language. If I remember correctly, it's just you're talking about JavaScript, for example, versus C, right? Dynamic versus static. So dynamic is let me let me write everything at compile time and don't bother me. Use any type and then. You figure out the type at runtime. When you actually run the software, you figure out the type. Obviously, there is a cost to that because now the interpreter need to do this stuff. Oh, this variable is const. Const equal some value. This value came up from here. I don't think you can do a const for the value. You have to actually set a value. Oh, cost is object. Const is a string. Oh, this let variable equal this variable. So the, the interpreter is doing all this stuff to figure out what type it is so it can actually store it in the right place in memory with the right type. If you, if you give this hints in the compile time, then the compile does all the job for you. So your runtime theoretically is faster. That's why a lot of people hesitate to move to JavaScript and Python because of this. Especially old-time programmers, like, oh, these are garbage languages. I, I, I have people at work like this. It's like, yeah, they, they would not listen. If you write stuff in JavaScript, they, 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 they think this is a toy. This is a toy stuff. So it's like, give this away from me. Toy language. I like, I like JavaScript. So now JavaScript is being formed into a strongly typed language, TypeScript, which is something I just leaves bad taste in my mouth the way javascript is turned into a static language in this way with this extra layer is just blech. i don't know blech. it's just for heck you just use WebAssembly. write your code in c and then compile it down to assembly that don't 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 do all this or rust write in rust if that's a static language and then compare to WebAssembly. While this loophole, the people writing TypeScript, JavaScript is meant to be dynamically typed language, in my opinion. And now, now you're adding another layer on top of it. I don't know. Again, I have a lot of unpopular opinion, guys. <laughs> I apologize. I'm, I'm, I'm old like that. I just, I, I need to think. And I'm not going to get me wrong. We use TypeScript at work. And, and I fight this. Battle, I work, but I lose every time <laughs> because it's just popular. If something is popular, you cannot fight it. 
if something is hyped, you cannot fight it. No way you can fight it. People lose logic. Once you fight, try to fight popularity, people, you lose. You cannot, you think you can change React? It's just so overhyped. You cannot, Microsoft, you can change Microsoft? No, people are running all this stuff. You will only change it if people actually saw the, so the the downside of of that that technology and people have started to realize some of the downsides obviously like silverlight take silverlight for example right silverlight was so overhyped guys you i don't know if you guys are old enough to hear about silverlight and flash app back in the mid 2000s was it mid 2000s yeah sheesh man if if we, if someone is not on top of Silverlight, they were called old-minded and and uh, uh, this is like they they were called all kind of words because they were not using Silverlight. <laughs> Where is Silverlight right now? Uh, thanks to Steve Jobs, he put his foot down and says, "F all that, I'm not gonna put this bloat." on top in my phone and yeah he said the same thing to flash the idea is here is, is very deep but if you think about it we do we over engineer everything and i want to i want to just deliver my message so it's not overhyped as much as possible to just Talk sense into people before they apply technology. That's that's my goal in life. If I can talk sense to someone, I'll be a happy man. How old are you? I am 30, sheesh, 37. 37 years young. Sounds like a familiar fight to lose. Python with type hints are not my favorite either. There you go. I mean, yeah, they built, why is Python popular? Why is JavaScript popular? Because it's dynamically typed. It got popular. People like this stuff. They chose it for this reason. Don't form this opinion. Change it. Why are you changing it? You're changing 20 years old contract. Is, is Python 20 years old? I don't know. You're changing a fundamental contract about this. And, and people who are new, who just jump into JavaScript, oh, this looks good. Guys, we had strongly typed languages. Here you go. There is C++. You can use C. You can use Rust. You can use Java. Java is strongly typed. You don't like any of this? Hey, here is the thing. You want to run them on the web? Compile them into WebAssembly. Wasm. And now you can run your app into Wasm. But nope. Let's, let's complicate everything. Sing says, wait, let's see, auto, what did the auto says? Uh, Nadim says, disagree with your view on TypeScript. Oh, I love, I love people who disagree with me. And it has a place, especially when it comes to managing JavaScript code. It's better to catch issue at compile time than runtime. I agree with you. But I don't think TypeScript is this choice for this. Yeah, it's always better to catch things like compile time than use a language that was designed to do that. 
TypeScript solves a problem in JavaScript, this dynamically typed nature, but JavaScript wasn't intended to solve this problem at all. They know they were aware, they built it so that it is it it is dynamically typed. They built it so that it doesn't have the limitation of strongly typed languages, right? So now you build something on top of it as type strip. You added another layer. So user need to learn two things now, which compiles down to the same thing, which is weird. So either learn how to write good JavaScript or use another one. That's just my opinion. Again, I know a lot of people use TypeScript and, I, and, and, and Microsoft will not be pushing it if it's not good. It's just my opinion. And, and yeah, of course, uh, some people will disagree with that. Many, of course, I, I, if you're using this technology and you, and you think it's useful and you don't want to use WebAssembly, yeah, TypeScript is good. Uh, he looks like 25. <laughs> I don't know. Thank you. Auto, overhyped exists everywhere, which is why IETF has multiple protocols to do similar things. I know. In your... Uh, in your VRRP VIP, you mentioned how basic protocol ARP is used. I was wondering, can't ARP be exploited? Of course it can. Have you heard of ARP poisoning? Check out my latest video, Sad DNS. I just published it today, actually. The assassinator. Do the coding design pattern like Onion. Hexagon architecture makes sense. Since the new Microsoft Buzz has the code size so small that these patterns don't even make sense half the time. I agree. So it, it sounds good to break things into smaller and smaller, but it comes back to Nigel's algorithm. If you have a smaller thing, then you have a little bit overhead, right? Because now you're doing the same thing over and over again with this with a smaller subset. How open source managed by people, how open source works. I don't run open source software, I'm sorry, so I don't know. Uh, Nadim, the example you give is not relevant here. Silverlight was a proprietary plugin. TypeScript is a standard compliant language. Mm, I don't I didn't compare Silverlight to TypeScript. I was comparing Silverlight to overhyped technologies in general. Can you make more system design videos, like a one-hour sys design interview? Ah, oh. system design, system design. Yeah, I made. I think I made three, four videos on system design, and that's it. But yeah, maybe I should. I should make more of these. I like them. Can you make more? What is? How important is unit and integration test? Oh, very, very important. Testing is everything. Testing is very, very critical. And lack of testing can actually causes problems. Ah, uh, there is Russian here. I don't read Russian. I am sorry. But yeah, integration tests are very, very critical. Because if you build, especially with, with microservices, like they are so power, they're so important. And versioning comes more important too right because now if you have different versions then each version will 
uh, your application will run in a certain version, but if they upgrade that version, you have to you need the ability to roll back so you can test where this application broke. So integration test and versioning is very critical. With layer seven load balancer, will a client IP port always goes to same server because it it changes, then it will break the statefulness, right? Mm. With layer seven load balancer, will a client goes to the same server? No, layer seven load balancing is the ability in the load balancer or the proxy to look at the content and make decision on the application layer. So if that's the case, then it does not depend on the statefulness of the protocol itself. It just terminates the connection, terminates the uh, encryption, and then looks at data. So that means it reads, that's more expensive, it reads this request. So it has to wait for all the packets to arrive in order to make sense of them. So that's slower. You have to think about that. And then once it reads this piece, it now makes decision on that piece. And then based on that, oh, now it keeps its own cache as a layer seven proxy. Okay, I can send to this server, this server, this server, and both, all of them will work, right? So if it's round robin, it will send to this, and we'll remember that the next request comes, oh, I already sent to this, so I have to send to the server too, and then so on. And based on the algorithm, that decision change. Layer four proxying is completely different. It does not have this request awareness. So it goes and look at the IP address. It says, hey, I'm not smart enough. I don't look, I look at the packet level. So I don't stream, I don't, I don't buffer the packets to understand them. I treat them as encrypted packets. So only things you have to look at is source IP, destination, uh, source port, destination IP, destination port. And once you have this information, you, 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 you only, the only thing you have to do is this, hey, I need to make sure that if the source port and the source IP is the same, I need to always forward it to the same server because you cannot break this. Otherwise, the, the, everything is going to break, right? You cannot break this contract. You can try, but things might break. I'm very sorry. I made a mistake with my last question with the layer three of answer. Oh, layer three of answer. Oh, layer three brand. The balancer only plays a layer three is what is the IP protocol, right? So you only play with IPs. So you cannot even see ports. So if you if you're playing at the at the IP level, then it's also stateful in a in a sense, right? Because that's the only thing you work with. You don't even know ports. So that's kind of even more challenging. Um, can you talk about how how to scale database writing right keeping asset properties of DB intact? For example, if I want to scale writes on my school, I talked about that in my sharding video. Right, if you that one way to is to do is to shard right. Again, writes. If you want to scale writes, then you shard. Again, let's not talk about sharding. It's too early for this. It's the way way complex. So what you do is you write to an instance and then you can scale that by having replication. So all these writes replicate back to a read instances. But if you want to scale two databases, like two of them writes, which if you think about it, 
why would you go that level if you're unless you're youtube you shouldn't really go there because like why it's just so complex and so unnecessary because one instance of a database that is beefy can handle all that stuff and then you replicate all that stuff to multiple read instances so it can you you can scale your right reads essentially and then if you can if, if you don't want to do that then you do sharding and if you don't want to do application level sharding for mysql for example use vitess let me write it down here vitess vitess is that called vitess yes vitess what us so vitess is um is a, is a layer that does the sharding for you. So you communicate with Vitesse and Vitesse talks to MySQL and then you can scale your rights this way. MariaDB just introduced, I, I call it the Vitesse killer. They introduced, damn man, this is good. They introduced uh, a new database storage engine. I think it's called Spider that allows them to do sharding they essentially does exactly what the, what the Vitesse does. They shard, but at the disk level, at the storage level. So if you can, you can send multiple writes, and they will scale that to multiple servers. So that's really powerful. Hello from Brazil, Michael. Welcome to the stream. Nadim, I recently watched your Canary deployment video. It is so clear, clearly defined the concept for me. Thanks for that just the right size would love to keep making short videos that focus on a single concept thank you Nadim. i appreciate you appreciate you so much thank you for being a member really appreciate that but yeah i i want to make the short videos that kind of explain concept like that and when you see videos from me like this that means i at one point didn't understand what that means and i wanted to make a video for me first to understand in order for you to and and by default you get it for free. That's the, that's the idea here. You get the the concept right because any video that you see is something that I thought about at one point. I don't make videos to get clicks. Otherwise, I'll be talking about Kubernetes all day and React and and Angular and 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 what else fancy top programming languages for 2021. You'll see me all over that place, but I don't care about that. I care about knowledge, so knowledge. What's his name? <laughs> the knowledge. Here in my garage. What's his name? I forgot. Lopez? I forgot his name. <laughs> knowledge. The knowledge guys. I don't know. What is his name? So yeah, that's what I care about. I care about um, uh, just sharing genuinely understand and a technology and then actually talking about it that's my that's why i talk about stuff from 20 years ago that nobody's searching out for like multi what was that kind of multi-path dns multi was it multi-path dns i think it's called multi-path dns all of a sudden it's like why are you talking about that or 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 uh securities that are new sometimes i talk about new stuff that just popped up because inter, 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 it interests me so i search about that ty lopez thanks Beth. ty lopez knowledge thanks for your great work i found your channel before four months ago and i'm completely hooked into it i appreciate you i'm glad you like the content thank you guys 
how are we doing in time one hour 17 minutes you guys rock Ooh, it's a beautiful stream you guys rock should we learn go seeing its job requirement have increased yeah go is a great language i have not learned it yet but it's 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 not overhyped. It's hype for a reason. There are there are some reasons. It was built specifically with networking in mind. So I like languages that have a goal like this. You know, building a goal language, I think it's strongly typed. Yeah, it's strongly typed, and it was built for networking apps. So having a language, like a domain-specific language, ooh, I love this stuff. That means you built it to solve a, a given problem that nobody addresses. You might say, Hussein, I can build a C application in network. Of course you can, but you have to do more work compared to Go because Go was built with this in mind. That's their goal. So I need to, I need to dive into it. So yes, yes to Go, yes to Go, yes to Golang. What do you mean macro services? You said that in the beginning. Yeah, let's talk about that macro services so micro is very tiny macro is a little bit bigger right this is something i i came up with but but the 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 industry have either two things a monolith that's one single instance of your application that has your entire you run it and it takes finite amount of time and then the application starts and maybe it listens to a single port and then you make a request to this application if, if it's a client server app right so you spin up this app and that takes time to start microservices is take every single function that does exactly one and one thing and break it into services so that's micro right so now things that used to be um Every single function, almost every single task, you break into a microservices. So now you end up with so many, so many, so many services, right? And and that could be a problem because managing this much service is just unbelievable. Macroservices is something in the middle where you pick pick the pieces that talk to each other the most and put them in the service itself doesn't make not not to look oh not 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 to be fancy right not to be like oh i have to put the like the order service and the purchasing service in 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 two different services because those two talk to each other you as an architect decide to put them in one service you call them order and purchase while microservices might break them into two services right macro service is the idea of putting things together that talk that are they're chatty essentially so that you you end up with a mini monolith or a macro service does that make sense so now you're not breaking every single thing right you're not trying to break everything into a service a mini service so that it's it's a one or two person no you're still having the monolith, but you're breaking down still, but it's way coarser. Coarser, C-O-A-R-S-E. So that's like a little bit bigger. So if it's a little bigger, so still, they're small enough to start very quickly, and they are not chatty enough so that my networking latency will not suffer. 
and I don't have to worry about that. Once you put that in goal, you go in the middle, this is a little bit more reasonable and realistic to achieve. So you can either call them macro services or mini monolith. Again, that's something I came up with <laughs> based on logic. Nadim, it has become so difficult to keep pace with learning so many technologies. I can't agree with you more, my friend. There is so much stuff. And I know it becomes a real uh, overwhelming and, and a little bit sometimes you go, it feels, it feels not, just, not just overwhelming, it just feels, uh, just you feel down sometimes. And I, I feel this way. I'm just like, I'm not perfect. Sometimes I wake up, it's like, ugh, screw software engineering. I don't want to learn anything today. So I, I watch anime or play video games. And you need those time to take time off, right? Don't put the burden on yourself to learn everything because this technologies will keep growing and growing. That's why maybe hit the fundamentals first so you feel good about yourself so that you can prove almost, it's like a mathematical equation. If you give me any equation, I can prove it or a, a mathematical proof, I can break it down into its own atomic fundamentals and I can prove it for you, right? If I know the fundamentals of mathematics. Same thing with software engineering. If you give me a technology like, I don't know, Spring or PHP Laravel, this is, these are fancy words that don't mean anything. So if you dive into our architecture, oh, it's just a web server. I know what servers I know they're listening on a port. I know they talk HTTP. So once you do that, it becomes a little bit less overwhelming. Does that make sense? Most of the time, new technologies are not groundbreaking. They are more, they are, they are a, a mishmash of different things. Ahmed, how I can show my work as a backend engineer in my CV or my blog? Hmm... That's a tough one. It, without experience, it just it shows. CVs are very tr tr tricky, man. That's why I, I, I did not get hired because of my CV. My CV sucks. I, I don't know. I can't write CVs for shit. So, how, how, the way I got discovered and hired by my company here in the US, and I was some, some, someone. Half of the country here in the U.S. have never heard of the country, country from called Bahrain. So the way someone heard about me is because I wrote blogs, because I wrote books, because I wrote some software that are available there. And that's how they found me. And then once they found me, say, oh, you're interested in this thing? We need you because you are very good in GIS technology specific to utilities, that's electric, water, and gas. And I was not only specific, specialized in utility, I was specialized in electric. And not only just electric mo data modeling, I was specialized in electric data modeling for European data model. So it was so niche, and that's exactly what the American needed, and that's why they hired me, right? So I was building networking uh, net, a network model it's called the geometric network and that's why I, I knew this part of it I, I know these things and that's so that's that's how they reached out so always try to flip the equation I know it's not easy I know I keep saying this always let the recruiter reach you because you're just the guy or the gal 
that knows this thing instead of you reaching out to them. Most applications don't need microservices. That's right, Nadim. A simple modular monolith is more than enough. Yeah, most of them, if you can tweak your monolith so it starts faster, you don't need a microservices. The, 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 the problem with monolith is, first of all, team collaboration. And the second is the startup time, the, the lazy startup, the, the cold start. If I can make these start faster, then you're good. That's why people use uh, dynamically linked uh, libraries, DLL files, which is let's only link this stuff when you absolutely need it. So lazily load them. Computer science or computer engineering? Oh, I would say because I I would say computer science because uh, I'm 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 a computer science guy. I applied for computer engineering. Funny enough, I wasn't accepted. I was accepted as a, a computer science student. Back in 2001, I am old. Nice. Which programming language you primarily work with? I work with primarily in C Sharp, Python, and JavaScript. Yeah, these are the main. I used to work VB.net a lot, but... Those days are now gone, the VB guys. If people are calling my site using uh, web scrapping, I can block the web scrapping request. Is it possible? Uh, well, what is web scrapping? Web scrapping is they are making uh, calls, get requests to your website in order to fetch the HTML page in order to scrap it. And what is class scrapping? It's just basically string parsing, right? How do you differentiate between people visiting your site from browser versus people visiting your site from a bot? You can't, right? You might say, Hussein, there is something called user agent header and they get request. Well, they can fake that. <laughs> they can use Postman and send their own user agent, uh, user agent pretend, pretending to be uh, pretend, pretending to be Google Chrome or Firefox. So. I don't think there is an, a way to prevent that, in my opinion. And and those requests are the good thing about them. They they are not the good thing. I guess the the infamous thing about them is they are not bad. I mean, they they are not slow. They don't they don't seem evil. They seem like normal get request. Whoops, scraping. You send a get request to the main page. You can HTML, and then you turn around and just parse the string. Very innocent. That. That ex looks exactly like someone visited your page. Can you block that? I have no idea. I don't think so, in my opinion. I don't think you can. So that's why IMDB says, hey, you cannot uh, scrap my movie database. But who who are you to tell me no? no? Google scraps. That's the big, biggest scrapper in the whole world. How many times have you used support order huh? how how many how many times uh zero it just says how many times have you used a support order in a game of throne board to betray lies <laughs> look at that someone actually played that game huh many times <laughs> what programming uh oh, we just answered this one your your videos have helped me a lot 
at my work. Thank you. Thank you, the Brian technician. I appreciate you, sir. Can you explain a bit how millions of requests handled by server? I think we did in, in a previous servers, in a previous uh, question. So the, uh, the idea is millions of requests is a lot of requests, right? So you need a one single server cannot possibly handle million of requests. And what does that mean? Million of requests. Is it a million of requests at a single second? Or million of requests, like how many requests per second? That's what that's your metric. You need to measure that. And based on that, put one machine, and if that machine just dies because the CPU resources cannot possibly handle this many TCP connection, and that then the the the, the cost of that goes higher with the protocol, the higher with HTTP two, and the higher with quick as well. Because that those things need more resources to assemble the stream, so think about that. Um, Michael Colio says, "How is the process of getting a visa of and working on living in the USA? It wasn't so bad for me, in my opinion. In my case, because guys, if you don't know, I am uh, I am from the Middle East. I'm from a country called Bahrain, and so I'm Arab. And when I applied, first of all, um." I got I got reached uh, right from the United States for the company that I work on to actually come to the state. So they applied for an H-1B visa for me. And that took one month, I believe, or so to get it. It wasn't it wasn't that bad. We got it quickly. Right? So the the background process and I, I talk about it in my story. Check out just my story in my in my video. In my YouTube channel, I talk about that whole process. But H1B followed by after one year, they start applying for the green card, and then once that uh, and that took me in 2017, they start of 2017, they applied for my green card, and I got it in 2019 exactly. So two years it took me two years to get my green card. So total three years, and I'm permanent resident in the United States of America. America. America, America, CAPTCHA, no, what's CAPTCHA, oh, hmm, can you use CAPTCHA to prevent, oh my god, I didn't think about that, can you use CAPTCHA to prevent uh, users from scrapping, but then how do you know, that that will kill your user experience though, right, How uh, people who access your site, are you gonna, are you gonna throw a CAPTCHA on them, ugh, uh, people will just quit and not, not visit your site. That's the tricky part. Either make it very hard to parse, maybe. That's why people use a minifier and all that stuff. But CAPTCHA, yeah. Again, how do you know if this is a human or not? Even Google struggle with this to know if this is a human request or not. You can try, but attackers are so smart. They can just fake the request. You can, for God's sake, you can just literally go to this page, go to dev tools and then dev tools and then go to networking and then copy as fetch and you can exactly get the command that send you that request and then you can immediately send just code that request sandra as you said you have knowledge of express internally can you share that knowledge with us in one video yes i will actually uh, what's his name Uh, uh, Traversy Media did that. He made he built a video without Express. Check it out. Let's give some uh, our friend uh, 
Traversy Media some love. Check out, check out his video. If you guys don't know, follow Traversy Media. He's awesome. Flutter versus React. I don't know, to be honest. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know much about the front end, to be honest. So I'll leave it to people who are more expert in that knowledge. So I hear a lot of good thing about Flutter. Your videos are really helpful. Thank you, Rohit. I appreciate you. Zerdos, I'm about to start a full stack roll, but I am I believe my back end abilities are lacking competent to my front end. What are some fundamental things to learn regarding back end development? Well to learn about the back end, um uh, actually a lot of you asked me for a roadmap. There is this cycle roadmap.sh, which is a pretty good. They they lie it down. Uh, but I want to build my own roadmap the way I see it because that, that roadmap was just, I don't know, felt a little bit biased, in my opinion. So I want, and I think there are a lot of things that are complete, not, not necessary. So I want to build a roadmap for you guys and make a video about how to start exactly and how to end. But again, even that is not going to be complete. So in a nutshell, I really recommend starting with networking as a backend engineer. Just understand what the OSI model, understand the TCP handshake, understand understand TLS. These are the three most important things. Okay. So once you understand these things, move to the HTTP protocol, move to HTTP2, and move to Quick optionally, because it's not that popular yet. And then once you understand that, try to build a chatting app, design it with just these protocols. With, with just this protocol. Don't introduce anything else. Forget about message queues and, and all that stuff. You, naturally, as you scale, you will find yourself needing a new piece of architecture to relay messages. And that's when, when message queues are introduced. You can solve stuff without message queues, but becomes, it becomes almost like a peer-to-peer. You want to centralize stuff to push your messages and, and pu- pu- publish them and then subscribe to these messages so once you start doing that you can start thinking oh i need this now i don't need this i don't need. don't learn things just because oh they're fancy i need to learn them there are always a reason to introduce everything right and uh, yeah message queues and then once you introduce message queues you know when to use them and when not to use them and then try try just to build systems and not necessarily coding i don't talk about coding Funny enough, in backend engineering, I barely do any coding. I just mainly do designs because that's what you focus on, architecture and design, right? You leave coding to the experienced developers who love to actually code. I don't code on my day-to-day basis, in my opinion, right? I just design systems a lot. I, I look at the high picture, a big picture. That's why I understand the system better, right? The developer knows way better in data structure and algorithm and how and LRU caches and stuff like that. You can't be an expert in everything. You have to pick one what you interested in and then play in that arena. So and once you have that, try to build Twitter, for example. Don't look up videos. Don't look up oh how to build Twitter in 20 minutes. Oh, build this Twitter clone in 30 seconds. No, don't do that. That will just confuse you. Using your knowledge exactly just using this tool it's like a video game it's like an rpg video game you start with an axe and that's it you have to finish the level with an axe tcp is the axe is the sword and that's it go build it 
And then with, with that, you, oh my God, I can build so much stuff with this. Then you're going to start reading about MQTT and HTTP and AMQP and all that stuff, which is just all built on top of TCP or UDP, everything on top of these protocols. Once you understand that, you are unstoppable because you can know, oh, I'm not going to use HTTP because of these reasons, right? But once you build everything from scratch, from first fundamentals, from first fundamentals, you will be really unstoppable because... You understand how things work. Can you do it better? 100%. 100% you can do everything better. But play this like a video game. Start as a level one. And these are the tools they are allowed to use. Not even HTTP. You cannot use HTTP. Okay. You cannot use HTTP. You are using, you are willing to use only TCP and build Twitter using TCP, for example. Can you do that? Right. You might say, Hussein, how can I make TCP work in HTTP and, and, and browsers? Then you come to the problem of HTTP, right? Then you implement HTTP layer on top of that. Maybe your backend. Again, I'm not talking about frontend here. All the backend. Can you build everything with just that thing? That is the trick here. That is the trick. Hey, guys. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. There is a Discord group where we have beautiful beautiful suggestions and discussions join that group Ugh, i keep forgetting the the id of that group let me just a second let me find that Ugh. 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 click my channel dead air dead air dead air oh, okay i found it i found it right click copy link guys i'm gonna paste the discord group jo oh my god look at this why is the discord group this this long all right. Uh, 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 sorry. Dead air. Sorry. Okay. This is the Discord group. Join it. Let's have discussions. You guys have amazing ideas. You have amazing questions. You keep me, my brain always thinking, which is not good. I need to stop using my brain and I need to unwind sometimes. So keep it, keep it coming. Don't worry about that. So yeah, I love you guys. This is awesome stuff. So yeah, we what we're talking about? We're talking about all that stuff. Yep, back in engineering, yeah, use the basic fundamentals, and then start building on top of that. And it's okay to reinvent the wheel because you're learning. Who cares? Build YouTube with with UDP, just UDP. Well, how would you build it? And then add this to your arsenal. Imagine now you're level two. You just added HTTP to your to your uh, quiver as an archer, right? And, and and you can like I was like you can play as an archer who's like oh I only use HTTP in my application or you can play as as a brute right uh, with an axe or or what is this thing the the club right you can build with a club so that's you're just the TCP UDP kind of a guy so some gamers don't use any protocol they build their custom protocols on top of TCP and they disable TCP no delay and disable TCP quick act. I guess, yeah, the disable quick acts. They, they play with that level level stuff. I no longer have a Patreon. I closed that. I only have a YouTube membership. If you join that, I have some exclusive videos and you can get access to the slides and some exclusive videos. And you'll also be supporting me. Thank you. Thank you so much for your support, guys. XMPP is the same thing, right? 
XMP is a protocol which is, uses XML. But sometimes we need a protocol to make sense of things. So people make standardized things so we can talk to each other. So there is always like an equalizer. When should I build a, a protocol myself? And when should I use an existing protocol? That's always like that. So like someone asked me the other day, it's like, Hussein, I don't think I need message queues at all. I said, sure. Uh, what are you trying to build? I said, I want to build a chatting system. And I, and I just walked him through the process. It's like, okay, you want to build this chatting system using WebSocket. Let's build it. Draw the architecture right now and send it to me in Twitter DMs. It was like I, I had a few times before I go I went to bed. So I was like, we were chatting. Okay, he drew one, he would draw one server and, and the client, and two clients talking to each other. So I want to close. They said, This is a beautiful architecture. So simple, so nice. All right, your application all of a sudden uh, got popular. You have thousands and thousands of users. This single server no longer can handle. What do you do? He said, Sure, I'm going to spin another server. Okay. That sounds like a good idea. Let's spin up another server. So you have server one, server two. So you have clients connected to server one. You have clients connected to server two. Nice. But what if a client that is connected to server one want to send a message to a client server two? How do you do that? He said, oh, shit. <laughs> the moment you start thinking ahead, you immediately see what breaks. And, and again... That doesn't mean you still need WebSockets with that. So let's keep thinking. Uh, that doesn't mean you still need message queues, right? In, in, if in a single server, you don't have this problem because everything is in memory. So I know everyone. Everyone is connected to me in the same server. So if I want to find user B, hey, he's right there. I'm going to do a hash table, search, find him. And then, boof, throw it down. That's easy, right? But the moment... Th there are two machines now. There are users that are connected to one machine. There are users connected to another machine. How do you know? How do you solve them? How do you do this? Well, one solution, he actually said, let's connect. I'm going to connect these servers so they are aware of each other. And they communicate. I'm, I'm going to build my own custom protocol and maybe a WebSocket. And I'm going to let them exchange metadata about their users. So now that's good. So now if I want to send a message from user B to user C, if user B and user C are on the same server, the user the server knows and then it sends me information on the same machine. That's faster. But if they're on another machine, if I couldn't find the user, I look at the metadata of my second server and then send it to that server again, which in turn send it to the other server. So you see that, right? Now I told them, okay, that sounds great. What about if you have five servers? Six servers, you're scaling, right? Again, I'm just, this is a little bit of a rhetorical question because you might not need to scale that much because what application are you building? But think about it, just think about it. This is just flatter, flatter me, think about it. You say, okay, I'm going to build that. And say, oh shit. Now all these servers have to connect with each other. All of a sudden you have a peer-to-peer -peer system, <laughs> right? It just becomes very, very complex. Peer-to-peer, -peer, that's the main problem with peer-to-peer. Every server connects to each other, you have a mesh, and then you have a lot of connection and you have a lot of networking bandwidth consumption. That's just a killer. So he said, here's when a message queue is useful. You have one single 
message queue, a cluster of a queue, and all these servers push their information there and pull information from the queue. So now you can send the message to the queue and the queue will know which server exactly to push to in order to actually send the message. I forgot which chatting app works like this. I believe Instagram works like this. I believe if I'm not mistaken. It uses a message queue. Can you use a database? Absolutely. You can throw this in a database and then pull information from the database. That could be a little bit costly though. But you can skin the cat so many ways to skin the cat. Oh, we cannot say that. There's so many ways. Two birds to kill one stone. What does that mean? Two birds kill one stone. <laughs> rabbit MQ rules. I agree. I like rabbit MQ. I give it a hard time, but I give everything that is complex to understand a hard time. Again, for my small brain, because sometimes I don't understand everything. Uh, so if you can explain your technology in very few terms, I love it. And you use existing fundamentals. Ooh, I love, I love simple stuff. That's why simple rules. HTTP survive because it's simple. Do anyone know the answer of this question? What question? You didn't ask one. Do you know why WhatsApp uses XMPP but Facebook Messenger uses MP? Because WhatsApp was created way before Facebook, I think. WhatsApp is what created. That's the original protocol that was created. And then they just don't want to change it. Again, just changing a protocol doesn't mean you have to change. Just because you have a new protocol doesn't mean you have to change it. Nice. Golang versus Node.js for backend. Uh, I'm going to say Golang for that one. Build your own stuff. But Node.js is not bad. You can build a lot of app with Node.js. It does the job. You can spin up multiple Node.js apps and do all that jazz. All right, guys. Uh, well, uh, we're going to end it today. So much fun. We had we discussed so much stuff about the backend. I appreciate these great questions. Keep them coming. And uh, we're going gonna to see you in the next saturday with another live stream thank you so much for everyone who joined us check out the other content in the channel join the discord to learn more about not learn just just join the discussion see all the smart people we have there all the genius people who share their idea who share their projects who share their back and generously share their back in architecture i really appreciate you all of them all of you guys thank you so much my pleasure love you i'm gonna see you in the next one you guys stay awesome see you next saturday same time hopefully goodbye